what you would do in film, like what you'd call like an overhead. Like, so I need to know where everybody is. Oh. And so I draw that out and like draw out their action. I'm an awful illustrator, but <laughs> so it's like only <laughs> I can understand like my, my chicken scratch, but it like kind of gives me a relation to everything. And once I have that, I find the scene much easier to write. Welcome to the Writing Pursuits podcast, where authors like you discuss writing craft, author life, and book marketing strategies. I'm your host, Catherine McKee. I own Writing Pursuits and write and produce the weekly newsletter, Writing Pursuits Tips for Authors. In addition, I am a speculative fiction author. Writing Pursuits is for authors who drink too much coffee, endure judgmental looks from their furry writing companions, and struggle for words. If you are a writer seeking encouragement, information, and inspiration, this podcast is for you. Let's get to it. Hey, Writing Pursuits authors, welcome back to the podcast. To those of you who are new, I want to extend a special welcome. My name is Catrice McKee, and I'm glad you're here. Please leave a comment, a star rating, and follow the show to help others find writing pursuits. Today, I'm thrilled to have Alan T. Burgess as my guest, and we will be discussing his debut novel called The Illusion Crystals. So let me introduce him to you. Alden Burgess is a writer and filmmaker based in Western Massachusetts. He grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina and later attended Rockport College in Maine. His short films, Chance and What Is She to You, won numerous awards. When he is not working or looking after his two children, he can be found in the kitchen trying to ferment anything he can get his hands on. That's good for you, right? And if he's not there, he's out on a hike with his dog, Taco. Alden is currently working on a young adult science fantasy novel entitled The Illusion Crystals. Alden, welcome to Writing Pursuits. Thank you for being with me. Uh, what have you been doing lately? Um, well, I've been writing. <laughs> and I went for uh, a nice walk with Taco this morning. Awesome. Um, but um, And in the past week, I had a week off because um, it was my, my kids' uh, break. So we went to see my folks, which was really nice. Okay. Wow. What's weather like? Because here it's creeping up to the nineties this week. It's um, in the thirties right now. (gasps) Oh, it it, dipped down. It got really cold and it's been really windy. So hopefully though, I think by the weekend, it's supposed to get back up to the seventies. Like, Oh no, (laughs) I I can't believe it. (laughs) So I um, was wondering because you're calling this a science fantasy mm-hmm. for YA. Yes. Um, well, how did you get the idea for this book? Um, so basically, you know, I was out on a bike ride mm-hmm. and I was just kind of thinking about um borders and like kind of like like how borders go in 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 a in the countries and like, you know, kind of how, who decides who can cross what border. Right. And then I started thinking about our solar system and I was like, well, what if we didn't know there was a border once we crossed over and we found (laughs) something else out there. And so, and from there I was like, well, what if, they, you know, I just kind of started playing these what if games with with my head, you know, like out, out on this ride. And then I was like, well, what if what if they were like something out there, like a border patrol almost out there, and they're like, you know, oh wow, sucking the life out of you. And that's kind of had like kind of came to this like vampire idea. And that's okay. and that's from there, I just the ball started rolling on like, well, what if there was more like kind of fantasy creatures out there and a lot of what we thought were myths that we grew up with like elves and um dwarves and vampires you name it those were actually aliens from another planet awesome that were visiting us long ago ah. and that like for you know these were different creatures and for like you know early man they tried to explain it and that's where our, those myths came from right it was our our verbal history, but we just thought it was like fiction. It was 
stories you tell around the campfire kind of thing. Oh, okay. I love that. So how does your time in film make uh, your filmmaking affect the way you write? Um. I'd say for, for myself, like a, a lot of times, especially when there's a lot of characters, a lot of action on the screen mm-hmm. uh, or on the on the page, I, I need to like kind of map it out. And like what I would, what, what you would do in film, like what you'd call like an overhead. Like, so I need to know where everybody is. Oh. And so I draw that out and like draw out their action. I'm an awful illustrator, but <laughs> so it's like only <laughs> I can understand like, my my chicken scratch but it it like kind of gives me a relation to everything and once i have that i find the scene much easier to write and then i can kind of picture where the action's going if there's a spacecraft flipping over or something i can like all right who's going to be affected by that where's the explosion going to like all those little details i can it helps me kind of map that out a lot of authors lose track of that it's hard because especially when you have like five or six characters sitting around a table or doing something Mm -hmm. um you want to make sure everybody is in relationship and like when you're talking to people there's always a side conversation sometimes that might happen or like there's a lot of lot of stuff going on at once that you kind of have to keep up with and i I agree yeah yeah i agree um yeah. One of the other things I think that has helped, um, like filmmaking wise, they always tell you to give give people business, give them something to do. And so I try to always like because people just don't always just stand around and talk. You know, you got to have them like, you know, scrubbing the dishes or doing whatever, and then having that going on in the background while they're having this conversation. And that gives you as a writer. If they get frustrated, they can slam a dish down and it gives you something to do, gives the character something to, to act off of as well. Awesome. And no, it, it shows too in your manuscript. I can tell that you're used to doing that. Um, it's kind of like um, I guess blocking in theater where they're telling you yeah. where to stand and yeah. what to be doing at that time. And um there's some uh, some Japanese uh, cartoonist. And I'm trying to remember it's animation. And uh, for the life of me, his name isn't coming to me, but he's very well known for anywhere you look in the frame, something's going on, which is very unusual. Most of the time, everything's pretty static in the background. Mm -hmm. But in real life, unless you're controlling it like this environment where the dog might bark but that's pretty much the only dynamic thing that might go on in the background. Yeah. Then uh, sorry, there's Luna's butt in the screen, but anyway, <laughs> she'll turn around in a minute. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure she'll adjust, but um, unless you're in a controlled environment, there's it's everything's dynamic. Everything's fluid. Everything's yeah. in motion. So um, good, good to, good to be thinking about. And it's a really good tip actually for other writers to kind of scope out where people are, what they're involved in doing. You don't have to show it, mm-hmm. but you need to know it. And that way you can, yeah. uh, if you need to communicate it, it's there. It's already ready. Cool. I really like that. So let's get into the topic for today, which is your first chapter. Okay. I want to read the back cover copy and okay. your log line. And then we'll get into the first page on the screen and have a look at the first chapter rubric as well. So. Back cover copy, Earth is in shambles. Humanity's last hope is aboard (laughs) the Interstellar Spaceship Celebration, which I find is a very ironic name. Uh, Stuck aboard is Palmer Bridges, a teenage cook who's been let down too many times and uh, too many times to trust anyone. All Palmer knows is cooking and cleaning for the, the ship's elite passengers, With another 15 monotonous years ahead of him, Palmer is desperate for a change and gets more than he bargains for when extraterrestrial vampires capture the celebration. Determined to survive, get his brother back, and free everyone, Palmer teams up with a ragtag group of elves, fairies, and dwarves, who, to his surprise, are real, but nothing like the old myths from his childhood. Embracing his destiny, 
Palmer is on the path to stop an evil alien's rise to dominance until a forgotten relic's power is unleashed, forcing him to confront his own beliefs. So good. Cool. I, I like the way you set the stage. Logline, a teenage cook on an interesting, oh, uh, on an interstellar spaceship, if I could just read, must battle for his life and save the last remnants of humanity from the sinister alien he's prophesied to kill. So, good job. Yeah. Okay. Why don't so you I'm have gonna... a, uh, why don't you read it, um, Alden? Okay. My hands are red. I wipe them on my apron, but all I do is make a mess. Five minutes in, I'm already face, and I'm already facing a demerit. You kill a vampire? I hear Gomez laugh. Yeah, yeah. I say back. I say and get back to it. With his awful mustache, it's hard to look his way. We're not friends because it's not worth making friends out here. But he's all right. Over my shoulders, Tinker. He's always within my sight. After every everything we've been through, I don't blame him. Watching his little hands draw on the sketch pad makes me smile. Like Nan always says, family looks after family. No one else gives a crap. And from what I've seen, she's right. Everyone's out for themselves. You see this, Hugo? Says Gomez. Bomber's been staking vampires. We caught you red-handed. He blurts out a goofy laugh. We have gloves, says Hugo. He walks over and leans in. You know how it is around here. They make you wear hairnet for that mop of a head of yours do the same for your hands if you don't they'll mark you up his lanky body jiggles with laughter hugo always laughs before he makes a joke not as bad as those hands beat it guys i say and hold up two fingers two e's i whisper and grab another crate i want to do my work and get out of here without losing my cool unlike last week when you kill a vampire you get bloodier than that. An un unmistakable voice rails out, and I tense up. Lou Lymphata. He doesn't say much, but when Lou speaks, people listen. It's more than his deep voice or how he lumbers around like an overgrown bear. He commands your attention. I try to avoid him as much as possible, which is tough because he's my boss. With their pale skin and yellow eyes that suck the life out of you more than their fangs, Lou's big, bush, big bushy red hair and beard wavers in the light as he gazes off in the distance. A stake would kill him, but put a stake through the heart of anything and it dies. Wood's got nothing to do with it either. Cutting off their head's always a good way to go, if you can grab hold of their greasy hair. Nothing's worse than thinking you have a vamp down for the count, down, and they slip out and come back at you. Once they get the scent of your blood, they'll know it forever. Lou looks at me. Remember that. My hair stands on end. He says it with such certitude. I almost, I'm almost convinced what he's saying is true. It reminds me of these bedtime stories my mom used to tell, all about fairies and elves fighting evil vampires and goblins. I believed them. I know better now. You could never trust anything she says. She said, "Who's full of it too?" How do you know so much about vampires? You got blood-stained hands. Gomez gives me a wink. Blood doesn't stain your hands, says Lou. It always washes out. It's the memory that stains. He snaps his head to Gomez and Hugo. Back to your stations. They scurry away, and Lou turns to me. And when you're done with the beats, clean yourself up. I don't want to waste time writing a demerit. And put away all that produce they ag drop off. Lou takes two steps, and no hover lift. He mutters, mutters to himself about not being ready as he walks off. I roll my eyes. No hover lift? Whether it's lifting a 50-pound bag of veggies or chopping them, Lou's always makes me do everything by hand. The ship is filled with all these cool gadgets that the rest of the kitchen crew gets to use. Not me. Whenever I complain, he says I need to build my strength or sharpen my knife skills. It makes me laugh, as if any of those things will come in handy. Ah, that always makes me laugh because... <laughs> It's like, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> I, I always come to those sentences in books and I go, oh, why'd you do that? You just, you just, you just cursed yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So well done. Um, I am going to say um, that basically the hook lasts until about the end of the first chapter where he's 
He's holding up two fingers, two E's, beat it, guys, two E's, you know, like it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, he's making a joke or a pun. The chapter rubric is actually split into two parts. There's a section on just the hook alone. So all I'm doing is looking at the first page as if I'm an editor or an agent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all the time you get is just that first page. And it starts down the page a little bit. I actually even put a few like about a third of the way down the page. So that kind of shortens how much time you get (laughs) to make your impression. And overall, I think it's really, really strong. So here we go. This is the table of contents on the rubric. And in the hook, I'm looking at five things, point or promise, which is of conflict, answers to questions, a satisfying story to come, all those things you're aware of what a promise is. And the point of view, And I'm hoping that I'll meet the main character, which happens, which is great. Um, Setting, tone and mood, and genre. So on those things, and I'm going to go down to the hook section, the very first thing, and I didn't know what your length was. Um, I couldn't remember the word count. You may have told me. Is it approximately um, 78,000? No, I'm like a... like this, I'm I'm working on my my third revision right now. Uh-huh. My my second draft was uh, 114,000. Okay, you know that's that's okay for science fiction, fantasy, yeah. even YA. So you're right in the ballpark. You can go that long without raising any eyebrows. Um, so you know, you know, it's just how on point is it? You know, and do they want the whole story? So. I'm trying to cut it down by about 20% is my goal with this draft. Okay. Just to make it tighter. Yeah. Just to make it tighter. And it's already coming down. Okay. So on, um, on each of the pages, there's like this rubric and Mm -hmm. it has four sections. It's underdeveloped, fair, good, and excellent. Excellent is ridiculously hard. Like the hook is likely to be quoted from now on, you know, kind of like the first line of pride and prejudice or, yeah. you know, um, people put it on their bookmarks and T-shirts, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I kind of made it kind of hard uh, to do that. I think you might be able to do that with Andy Weir, but you'd have to be okay with swearing um, mm-hmm. <laughs> his book, but uh, or the first one anyway. The hook is original and interesting. So I put you in the good category, which is great. Immediately, questions are raised in the reader's mind. Some form of conflict is clear. And there is a promise of a satisfying story. Readers want to keep reading. They are hooked. So in your first paragraph, you already hint at conflict. Five minutes in, and I'm already facing a demerit. Ah, you know, so that tells me that there's some tension going on. He's, you know, there's a little bit of tension going on. Plus, we know that we're not friends because it's not worth worth making friends out here, but he's all right. Um, you have the saving grace here where he's concerned about some little kid. It's not easy to tell that his, it's his brother. Mm-hmm. I might counsel you to say watching my little or my brother's little hands draw on a sketch pad makes me smile. Okay. Or my young um my younger brother's hands mm-hmm. i don't know how little he is because he's 9 yeah so you know he might consider him little because he's 15 so mm-hmm. um anyway so the the very first thing you get in the the conflict and that's one of the things i'm looking for also you've raised a lot of questions just in that first page my questions were why does palmer believe it's not worth making friends, you know, who hurt him? (laughs) And you kind of get the idea that it's probably his mom. But anyway, uh, why did his nan teach him that no one else besides family gives a crap? It's like a family motto. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) so um, how old are, are all these guys approximately? Why is Tinker permitted in the kitchen? And why are there demerits? So, Mm Uh, those are great questions for them, for, for me to have right away. I want to know what the answers are. That's the purpose of a hook is you've made a promise. I'm going to answer these questions. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think you're well on the way by the end of the chapter to getting most of these questions done, and then you've raised others. So uh, there's also signs of conflict, especially inner conflict. Nobody cares. I can't trust anybody. And I got in a fight last week. Um, you know, believable dialogue among the guys who are present. Um, so you're you're really strong on your promise of a satisfying story. Okay, the next section, point of view. You have any questions about that one? No, that's good. Okay, all right. So point of view. Again, you're in the good section. This section is only for point of view within the opening line. So I'm not looking at the whole chapter here. I'm just looking at the hook. Um, So it's not an overall point of view assessment. But your choice of first person present tense works very well for the story. And your genre of YA for whatever reason, people kind of like the first person and you've intensified it a bit with uh, present tense. Some people like that. I'm okay with it. Uh, one of the people that does it um, very successfully was, I uh, believe, Suzanne Collins yeah, she- uh, with uh, The Hunger Games mm-hmm. is written that way. And, you yeah. know, she reaches out her hand and the, the bed is cold and mm-hmm. and she she's straight there right in. Um, Katniss's point of view, and she never strays, never strays. Um, so you stay in Palmer's head, and the readers get a strong sense of an outsider who's just trying to get by and possibly has a big chip on his shoulder. Now, he is protective of Tinker, but in no hurry to make friends. So really great, right out of the box characterization, a strong point of view, very believable 15-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. In, my experience. So um, that's great. All right. Uh, setting. This is the only, this is the only thing I'm going to ding you on really is setting is minimal and basic right in the hook. And um, the setting adds no flavor to the opening. The reader needs more information to understand the context. And what I'm going to say is, you know, when you're making a film, you have an opening shot and you get about what? 30 seconds. Yeah. Maybe. But you know, if you were planning this as a movie, it would start out and you would see maybe the exterior of the spaceship as it's going through space. Boom. You know where you are. Two, then you would get into the quarters and you maybe follow the roadies down the hallway. And then you would go to the kitchen and there's, or you maybe would open with the chop, 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 chop. Mm-hmm. And his hands are gross. And you would know that he's chopping beets and he's in a in a ship's galley, but whatever you would do to, to kind of maybe, and then maybe pan out to the cafeteria where people are streaming in and they're probably well-dressed. I mean, they got on their uniform or whatever they got their space suit, but you can tell they're kind of wealthy as opposed to the scrubs in the kitchen, you know, so you've already started, but that's all in the, that opening sequence where you said absolutely nothing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe because you don't have the luxury of that in your very first thing is maybe we could do this thing where give give a label there at the very beginning of the, the uh, chapter right between chapter one and the first line and say galley of the USS celebration 1730 uh-huh. UTC. Where, you know, kind of like that's what the ISS, the International Space Station, uses to coordinate time zones because they've got people from all over the world. They've Mm -hmm. got mission controls from various places in the world. And, you know, and I didn't know if it was USS because, you know, that stands for United States Ships. So who knows what it really says. But anyway, you kind of see that on its hull. And uh, but I was thinking that maybe that would be a shorthand way to establish that you're maybe in space. Mm -hmm. The other thing I thought maybe would be very easy to do also to set the setting is to mention the hydroponics deck or the ag deck because you 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 use ag. you know, later they brought produce, right? And he's assigned yeah. to the cooler. So beat it, guys. And I grab another crate from the Celebrations Hydroponics deck or from Celebrations Ag deck because I'm going to mm-hmm. go process some more beets. Yeah. 
No, that makes sense. But that just, just, you just slide it in there. We don't need any more information than that, but that gives you the idea that you're on a, a ship and they have hydroponics for some reason. So you're probably in space. And if yeah. they skip the stupid cover <laughs> with, the, with the actual description, hey, it's on a, this interstellar spaceship and they haven't looked at the cover, which has, you know, a spaceship or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the background, (laughs) if they don't have any of those context clues, if somebody's just reading an audio book or listening to an audio book, they get get at least some clues. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say. So that would be my my recommendation is just slide something in there, you know. Um, Okay, because you don't have a lot of time in the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I can kind of see that it's coming up to the dinner hour. But anyway. Um, and that's why I guessed at 1730. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what five, five 30, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tone and mood, the, the hook sets a clear tone and mood, the word choices and phrasing are original engaging, uh, readers feel confident that they'll enjoy the experience because of the author's tone and the emotions they feel at the beginning, make them look forward to getting on with the story. And I really feel that's true. Immediately, you feel the tension in the main character. The reader wants, uh, understands, and sympathizes with Palmer because you can tell he hasn't had an easy life. But he still wants to get by and take care of his brother. So, you know, he's relatable. So, um, tone and mood, I think you hit it. Um, and you might think of it as a little bit different. He seems a little depressed. Um, yeah. Not quite happy, uh, uncertain, mm-hmm. and standoffish. So you've you've set that kind of emotional tone, and that's fine. That's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, genre. There's a hint of which genre the book is in. If you're not looking at the cover and you're not looking at the back cover description, because yeah. you've obviously like told them but you might want to just make it perfectly clear they are on a spaceship. And I think that that would be great. And I, and I said, I really hope there are going to be vampires or something worse, but you've assured me there are going to be. So if I started on the front page and I got down to where they're talking about vampires, like, like Lou is talking about them, like he's seen them and fought them before. So I'm really hoping that's true. (laughs) And that, uh, or at least he's seen film or video. Um, Mm You know, uh, so anyway, okay, so let's go back and let's go through another section. I think this is really strong start. And that's the only thing I'm digging you on is, is because I want you to just make it clear, make it okay. really clear. Yeah. And that's a really easy fix. Mm-hmm. You saw that. You, it's a really yeah. easy fix. Writing Pursuits is run by Catherine McKee, who has been trusted by fiction authors since 2014 to take their writing to a new level of excellence. Catherine is a three-story method certified editor who specializes in story diagnostics, coaching, and line editing to help you prepare your story for the journey ahead. For more information, go to writingpursuits.com. The link is in the show notes. And now, back to the podcast. Um, If you want, I can read the next section, then you can read the last section. That works. Okay. Uh, We got through. Makes me laugh as if those things will come in handy. Okay. So what we're skipping here for our viewers is they kind of have this this thing where they're going to have a a dartboard, but they're going to use knives on the final round, which is totally against the rule. Uh, Before they get to that point, um, they get interrupted because the boss walks up. Okay, and he says breaks over, but in the interim, you you learn that um, Palmer has a knife that he carries at all times, which is totally against the regs, but he's got it and he keeps it with him and always hidden. But he thinks about it because it would be perfect for throwing. Anyway, breaks over, says Lou, his eyes narrow in on me. Palmer, your turn. My body turns to stone. Oh. Come on, man. I want to hide. It's the worst job in the kitchen. Birthday duty. Before going back under, the roadies get a slice of cake for the birthday they missed while asleep. It's the only sweet thing they get. 
They love it. If their slice isn't big enough, and it never is, they explode at you. It takes every ounce of energy not to snap back. Can one of you go with me? I look around and no one will meet my eyes. I knew they weren't my friends. Quit your whining, says Lou. I grab the cake cart and walk out. Hurry up, says short dude with a buzz cut. I remind myself that they've been in hypersleep for the past year. And by this point in the week, you're cranky. But the tension in my body remains. On the other side of the room, it's a kid's table. Their gold coveralls are in sharp contrast to the roadies bright red. You're not supposed to, but I grab a couple of the biggest slices and bring it over to them. They're kids. They need joy in their life. And for a brief moment, life is normal. The roadies yell about it, but I block them out. Share, I say. They smile and nod. Thanks, Palmer, says the little girl as I walk over to dole out the rest. It's a sight to take in. No one misses cake day. The place is packed out with over 200 roadies. The bright lights and shouts combined with an antiseptic smell that protrudes from the roadies make me dizzy. I steady myself on the cart, but it doesn't help. I want that one. No, wait, I want that one, says a tall, pasty boy. You better give me a good piece, says a blonde girl with her hair pulled back so tight it makes her eyelids pop open. Hey, I know you, I shudder. Taylor Jordan, I remember her, she's awful. I thought I had left her in that place behind. My legs could move. If my legs could move, I would run. You're that loser from school, says Taylor. Everyone laughs, and something in me clicks like a switch. Loser. I've had it. I'm tired of being pushed around. I'm tired of no respect. My muscles squeeze until I'm like a stone. I know I should let it go, but I don't want to. I let it all out. You want this piece, I shout? This one right here? I grab the biggest piece of cake on the plate and shove it into my mouth. It's sickly sweet, and I don't like it but I eat it all. Oh, come on, you big-eared freak, I hear over the din of a crowd. Or is it this one? I smash it with my fist. Or this? I pound another two two sets of arms, grab me from behind. Security. If their light blue coveralls didn't give them away, Donovan's, my feet sweat a lot, and I never change my socks. Foul smell would. Ackerman, his silent kite sidekick, is with him too. Palmer Bridges. Why am I not surprised? Says Donovan. He wipes frosting from my hands and sticks it into his pudgy mouth. Okay. (laughs) Do any of you have a birthday today? I squirm, but the goof squad tightens their grips. Booze bounce off the metal floors and walls. Give it a rest, says Donovan. Ackerman leans into my ear. You're lucky we're here. His breath smells Always smells like onions. They would have torn you apart. Taylor belts out. Palmer Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Everyone joins in. Palmer Bridge are falling down. Big fat loser. They slam their fists onto the table and their perfect shiny teeth glare at me. I smile. I got them. That's enough, says Lou. The whole place calms. Gomez, Hugo. Divide the rest of the cake. Lou turns to the roadies. There'll be something extra tomorrow. He turns to security. I'll take him from here. Let me make sure that I have. Sorry. Okay, there. (laughs) Uh, I'll take him from here. Donovan and Ackerman release me, and I walk back to the kitchen with Lou. As we cross into the gal, back into the galley, the laughs continue. Another rotation where I look like a loser again. At least there are only two days until they go back under. Maybe they'll forget about it by the time they wake up next year. What were you thinking, says Lou? I want to say I wasn't. That they started it. That everything sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. That I'm a stupid cog and a stupid will. That I have no say in my life. And nothing matters because nothing is ever going to change. That I'm lonely and everything is hopeless. Instead, I look down. Oh, no. Lou leans over and puts a hand on my shoulder. We've all been dealt a crappy hand, laddie. He tosses me a hand towel. Clean yourself up and tackle those dishes. Wait, 
Lou takes out the coin that he always carries. He's got this whole ritual. He clears his throat, shakes out his hands, and carefully places the coin on his flipping thumb. He gives me a nod. <laughs> like I have any say in what's about to happen. He never says what the options are. He flips and tells you. I can't decide if he's already made up his mind and the coin is his out. Like you can't get mad at me. It's the coin or the coin is his master and he must do whatever it says. Both are pathetic. <clears throat> he flips, catches it and takes a look deep clean tonight. I nod so much for keeping my head down. I wish I could go home, but that doesn't exist. I wish I could get off the, the ship, but there's nowhere to go. As he leaves, he mumbles, fate's a cruel mistress. Great. Fate is against me as well. That means no hope that there is nothing new. I gave up any hope long ago. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Man, got a scratchy throat or something. That's a <laughs> so very entertaining. It keeps moving. <coughs> that bit with Taylor, I just want to. Mm. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> she's a winner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's flip over to the rubric again and go on to the next section. So you stay in the point of view. The POV type and tense are a good choice for the audience. The reader enjoys the narrator's distinctive voice and is prepared to root for the character because they are shown to be relatable. Amen to that. It's good. There are a couple of places where you go shallow and they kind mm -hmm. of stick out to me. On page five, okay, um, you say, I shudder. Taylor Jordan, I remember her. Um, that kind of goes without saying. You just said her name. And then she's yeah. awful. That's fine. I thought I had left her in that place behind. If my legs could move, I would run. That's, that's good. That's what I wanted to say. Everyone laughs and something in me clicks like a switch. Loser. Right here, I think you could get rid of this. You can leave it. It's in his voice, but mm -hmm. I think you could lose, leave it out. And, and he, he says, loser, my muscles squeeze until I'm like a stone. I should let it go, but I let it all out without saying I know, but I don't yeah. want to. If you could get rid of maybe those two phrases and leave the rest, that would mm -hmm. work. But I think it becomes more impactful. My muscles squeeze until I'm like a a stone. I should let it go, but I let it all out. You want this piece? I shout. Mm -hmm. So it that's the and I mean don't take it, don't take it hard because it's, no, it's very it's tighter. Yeah, it is a little tighter. Mm -hmm. And um it gets that get rid gets rid of that um mm -hmm. shallow point of view. Um I love <laughs> I love this part where he wipes the frosting from my hands and sticks it into his mouth. <sighs> Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and I did want to speak to you about this, but we may come to that. We may come back to that. All yeah. right. So let's go back to the, the thing. There are a couple of places where you go shallow. That's one of them. I remembered her. I've had it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And that's all I needed to say about that. I did put in a, a little note about laugh. If you search on laugh, you're going to find it several places. Okay. I would see how much I could get rid of that and just use it when it makes the most impact, mm -hmm. you know? So, and it's something I would notice because I'm an outsider coming to it for the first time, Yeah. but you won't notice it because you've been in it for a while. So <laughs> that's the beauty of having somebody look at it. Mm -hmm. All right. Setting. Um, I think that you became, it became clear as the, the thing went on for one thing, their insults and so forth echoed off of their banging their fists and it echoes off the metal floor, the metal, everything. So you get a sense again, that they're on a spaceship. And by that time, it's pretty clear. Um, the reader needs the context. Okay. I already said that. You know, you, uh, la, la. the choice of the galley is where you really, you really hit a homer. The choice of the opening setting is representative of the protagonist. I don't think you could have chosen an, a better place. Mm -hmm. It's the opening setting is perfect for your main character to show who Palmer is and his normal world, which is the next section. 
I wish there was a way to communicate the star date, but the reader will come to their own conclusion. So no worries on that. I'm, you know, I'm maybe going too hard science fiction mm-hmm. instead of science fantasy, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I love that distinction. I, I like that. Um, I think it's a good, a good way to communicate what you're aiming at. Okay. The normal world, the char- character's normal world and their place in it are communicated in a clear before snapshot. You know who he is by the first half of the first chapter. You know where he fits in that ecosystem. You mm-hmm. know, um, he's just a young guy who's chopping beets in the alley um, and trying to take care of his brother. And you sympathize and relate to his conflicts, wants, and needs. So you made him stand for, uh, standoffish and conflicted and complicated and still relatable. That's really great. Then you persecute him. <laughs> One thing we're going to skip is the prophecy, but you fit in a prophecy and take mm-hmm. away the, ah, spoiler alert, take away the only memento from his mother off to a great start. Chandra, um, let's go on to the next section and read that. We're on page 12 now. And we're going to say, start with this. And this is Tinker. They're in their compartment, their little bitty apartment compartment mm-hmm. where the brothers stay together. So this is Tinker speaking. You want to <clears throat> you do this or you want me to do it? Yeah, I can do it. Okay, great. All right. I saw what you did. He says, you scared me. He's not angry, but disappointed. And that's worse than a punch in the gut. I'm sorry. Promise me you won't get like that again. I nod. I wish it was that simple. I look at the time. I need to hurry. You you ever mentioned the knife to Gomez? Tinker shakes his head no. You know I'd never do that. I nod. But I'm not sure how, how to handle this. It's good that Tinker... It's good Tinker didn't say anything, but how did Gomez know about it? It's got to be about the dark game. I grab my knife and look over all the handle like I've done hundreds, hundreds of times before. There's all these intricate carvings. It's like nothing I've ever seen. We have to keep it a secret because a ringer chimes and I shove the knife into my pocket as the door slides open. Sid Price stands with a dissatisfied vice principal grin. He's a head shorter than me, which makes it easy to see the bald, his bald spot through his short gray hair. He straightens his sleeves of his jacket he wears over his light blue jumper. We're in a climate-controlled ship. The only reason he wears a jacket is to make sure everybody notices the three stripes on the left arm that scream, look at me, I'm the big boss over in security. I'm not impressed. Mr. Bridges, says Price. You're not an easy man to track down. I suppress a laugh. I'm in my room. Yours and your brother. He glances at Tinker. You're supposed to be at work. I shrug. I need it to change. He smirks. Your clothes aren't the only thing that need to change. You're in a, you need a serious attitude adjustment. The captain will see to it. The captain? I bite my tongue. I've been in trouble before, but I've never had to see the captain. No more demerits for you, says Price. We need a whole new system. I snort. <laughs> Gomez is right. I put my hands in my pocket and touch the nice hilt. Is someone coming for me? No, it can't be. The only one coming for me is Price. He's had it out for me ever since the day we met. He never believed Tinker and me when we told him we didn't know how we got aboard. on board. It's not his fault we're here, and neither is losing my cool. The roadies egged me on. He clears his throat. Passengers. Roadies, passengers, same difference. Everybody calls them that because 200 of them rotate out of hypersleep for a week before going back under. Yet nothing changes for the crew. We're stuck in the summer camp from hell. Fine. I cross my arms. The passengers egg me on. Take it up with the captain. First thing in the morning. What's that in your pocket? My eyes pop and I slam my hands into my pocket. Nothing. I've got to go to, back to work. Hand it over, says Price. The air feels heavy, like a, like a bull. I suck in and shoot air back with force. 
I'm ready to charge. Hand it over. No one takes my knife from me. I grip the handle and squeeze it until my knuckles are white. Palmer, says Tinker. I look over to Tinker. His eyes plead and my shoulders relax. I give Price the, the knife by the handle. You know you can't have this kind of contraband on the ship. He looks at the knife and shakes his head. What is this blade to you? He would never understand. I'm mad at her, but that doesn't mean I want to lose the only link I have left. I swallow my thoughts and shrug. You can get it when we land, Price says. Until then, it'll be locked away in my desk. He walks out. I'll be an old man in my 30s. I yell after him. Life is hopeless. All I had for my mom was that stupid knife, and now it's gone. It's like everything that brings me joy gets taken away or leaves. Awesome. Okay, so I think that's a good um, cliffhanger. We want to know if he gets the, the knife back. It was mm-hmm. in the prophecy that we skipped over. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want to do all the spoilers. But anyway, he's uh, there's a prophecy and it, it mentions the knife. And now all of a sudden it's gone. So you did a good job of showing the knife in the drawer or I guess in his pocket before mm-hmm. all this, before this scene or this part of the scene happens. So a good, it wasn't a surprise thing that came up. And we got a glimpse of it. Um, it sounds fascinating with the relics. I mean, the stuff, you know, uh, the, the carvings on it. So um, I think all of that is very strong. And I love your characterization of Sid Price wearing <laughs> the jacket, even on a climate controlled ship, because he just wants to show off his like status or his status, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very well done. Look at me. I'm the big boss over in security. I'm not impressed. Anyway, <laughs> everybody has those feelings. Everybody understands that particular, <laughs> like, oh, you know, roll your eyes kind of thing. This guy. Okay. Yeah, this guy. We've all met that guy, right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so um, the genre is, and I didn't highlight a section I should have. Um, I I love this chapter. And so I would put it right on the line. Good and excellent. Um, I've never read a book quite like it. So good, good. You know, you've done something really great, but at the same time, you've honored the tropes. Mm -hmm. The ones I spotted are Lou, the mentor who knows too much about vampires to make (laughs) anyone comfortable. Um, And so nobody believes him, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's, you know, it makes Palmer's hair stand on end. Gomez, the surprise mystic who's unaware of his powers. So that was good. Taylor Jordan. Um, you know, I wrote this. I kind of hope she dies. <laughs> but maybe she will be one of the core team members who knows, you mm-hmm. know, the reluctant uh, ally. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it brings up another question. So what's going to happen to her? Because mm-hmm. you've obviously highlighted her and her mean girl spirit. Um, and then you have Tinker, the vulnerable younger brother. And I know that's not ac- actually a trope, but it's a really good tool uh, in mm-hmm. your tool belt. And it gives you a lever to work on your main character with. So great. And then mm-hmm. the roadies, which um, I mean, they seem like zombies to me. There's a little bit of an undead air about them. They do have some things in common. So I'm just kind of hoping that they, you know, somebody turns. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the captain, why do I think he won't make it? Um, anyway, the head of security, uh, you know, those are just figures that you expect to see on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. So you've honored that. Um, the ship headed away from a dying planet, very dystopian. Um their destination. And I love the way you fit that in um, planet jackass. And I mean, new earth, whatever it is. Um, so we expect them to have a dream planet waiting for them. That's kind of a trope that they're headed towards paradise or their new mm-hmm. home. They hope it's going to be perfect. You know um, we have Palmer, the underdog hero interstate interstellar spaceship, uh, a must, you know, for what you're doing here. And then the knife, an unexpectedly cool gift from Palmer's mother. Is it a magical relic? Read to find out. I don't know if that's the relic you had in mind, but it is very interesting. And obviously you've put it kind of at the the center of the conflict. So Mm -hmm. 
Were there other tropes that you were trying for or that I didn't catch? Um, that's a good question. Um, and it's okay if you mention something that comes up later. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to think if there's. Um, well, you know, you have mentioned some. Actually, you mentioned commonly held beliefs about vampires. Yes, I do. Like, there's uh, like, I'm, I'm, it's tar- it's hard for me to keep it straight. What's in the first chapter versus right, the, <laughs> right, right versus but, the rest? And but like, you've you've brought them up first thing, and I didn't even mention it. You know. Yeah, and so then we'll. And I play with those tropes later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like w- when we meet people, like they'll tell you what is a myth and what is not. Awesome. Which so is fun. That'll and, that'll keep it, yeah, very entertaining. Well, and 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 you've shown the vampires in the drawer too. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've brought them first thing. You know, and and then you kind of like, aha, they're not real. You know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then you mentioned on the back cover, yeah. You know, if you pay attention to the back cover, <laughs> yeah, you know they're coming. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's where I, I think you did a good job of honoring the conventions and expectations. Um, I am thrilled by the promise of great things to come. So um, that's right on. Cool. Right on. Okay, so. The stakes, death is on the line. And and this is what I tell all of my writers is that there's several kinds of death. There's emotional death, spiritual Mm -hmm. death, uh, social death, political death, and physical death. And I think there's three that are a distinct possibility. Obviously, the social death, he's Mm -hmm. already in the bottom run. So, you know, what's what's their well. I, you know, there may still be room for him to fall farther. Palmer already feels like an outcast. And then Taylor leads a chant about his loser status. Wow. Great. Emotional death could be on the line if something happens to Tinker. And already he's he's ailing in a way. He's kind of sick because I don't know what happened to Nan. Is she alive or dead? Um, and something has gone on with his mom that has deeply wounded him. Mm-hmm. So there he's got a wound he's carrying around. And then physical death seems like a distinct possibility too. I mean, they're on a spaceship headed to a planet that is yours from earth. You know, what could possibly go wrong there? So <laughs> you've set the stakes pretty high. And then when his knife gets taken away there at the very end, you've raised the stakes at the very end of the chapter. So I think that's very done. Very well done. Okay. Then, um conflict the shadow of things to come so that's all you have to do is kind of hint or give us a clue that there's more conflict that's going to come down the pike um the protagonist must make a choice and whatever choice they make has associated risks and consequences he chooses to give the knife away because he's trying to stay in his brother's good graces you know, they just had this discussion mm-hmm. and then Tinker is the one is the reason he gives up the knife. So that's going to have some consequences down the line. Um, so I see almost every kind of fa- uh, conflict there is already kind of happening here. Palmer kind of hates himself and has trouble controlling his anger issues. So he's got an inner struggle going on there. Character mm-hmm. versus self, uh, character versus character, Taylor. Oh, my gosh. Um, and also maybe the Sid, whatever his face is, the security guy, Mm -hmm. eh, um, there's also some conflict there already from the moment they met, it's been bad. Um, probably because he assumes that they're stowaways, which is a great touch, by the way, Mm -hmm. they don't know how they got there. And he suspects that they were, you know, that they're, they've, they've lied to him. You know, a character versus society, the poor versus the rich. Um, We did skip over that section. I think you Mm -hmm. did a good job of him reflecting on what he knows, what he thinks he knows about how things are working out. Uh, Character versus nature, spaces of vacuum, what could go wrong? Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying Mm -hmm. Uh, character versus technology could be Um, character versus supernatural. I think that's. There's a promise there, possibly because I think I believe the knife has 
some kind of magical power. That's, mm-hmm. you know, as a first time reader, that's what I'm thinking. And then mm-hmm. character versus fate, there's a prophecy. So, of course, he's going to have, you know, the struggle against his fate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've kind of hit all of the hit all of this. And usually you don't even have to hit more than maybe two. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's almost always character versus self. You've got that inner inner struggle, but then you've got one or maybe two of the others, but you've managed to um, immerse yourself in an environment where the possibilities are pretty endless for conflict. So good deal. Okay. Um, choice. Uh, it comes down to the conflict in the first chapter forces protagonist to make a difficult choice. And he didn't, you don't feel like he has a choice, but he could have chosen to just refuse to give off the knife and have a struggle, a physical struggle with the security guard and who knows what could have gone wrong, but he made a difficult choice and he gave up the knife. So I think that that's a, a pretty good thing. He didn't have, um, the consequences are not n- not necessarily very obvious what's going to happen, but then it's at the end of the chapter, and that makes it a good um, jumping okay. off place. You've already shown some consequences, and that's kind of the next thing is conflict always demands choice, and choice leads to consequences. That's kind mm-hmm. of the rule. So I'm going to put it right here because, you know, it could be higher. You know, you're, you haven't put him on Mars with uh, being stabbed through the spaceship with an antenna. So, yeah. <laughs> but you've done really well. So um, he did have uh, some some consequences already. And that's the next thing is he had some consequences where he had to go on. Um, I don't think the birthday cake was meant to be a punishment. It was just his turn. But then he had to go on deep clean. So. That was a consequence of what he did to the cake. Yeah. You know, uh, I love the idea of the characterization of Lou where he flips the coin like it's the coin's decision. <laughs> Good explanation there. It made me laugh. But no major consequences have happened yet except the loss of the knife. Mm-hmm. But we can be sure that more consequences are on the way and there's going to be a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So. So when I'm looking at the first chapter, it's a strong first chapter. There's just, you know, a couple of things, just a couple that you need to tweak. And then it it does need to go through a a copy edit where somebody's looking at your commas, (laughs) you know, where you start and stop sentences. But but really, um, I think part of him is his run on sentences. That's the way he thinks. So some of that needs to stay. And hopefully, you know, an editor or an agent can see that that's that's part of his voice. So the first chapter ends with compelling unanswered questions. Check. The stakes get raised. Check. And something unexpected happens. He loses the knife. Check. That that raises more questions. So Mm -hmm. Palmer is going to meet the captain the next day. What will happen? Will he get the knife back? Good ending. So well done. Um, do you have any questions about this or about um, anything else that you you have questions about your first chapter? Yeah, I've got, and I've gone back and forth on like I what I I've been writing like almost like I've, I've split up the writing into scenes is how I, I generally write it. Mm-hmm. And I, originally, I had you know I've kind of gone back and forth. Like, do I do like shorter chapters? where like that first chapter would almost be from the start to where Lou sends him, uh, tells him uh, to where, where, I, where, where you finished reading, where he, um, we, you know, fate's a cruel mistress, but I gave up hope long ago. Like that, that would be like kind of like one chapter. They would be kind of shorter. I wondered about those well. breaks. I was wondering if you're doing scene breaks. And I thought a oh, scene break isn't necessary. It is a long chapter. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't really notice it. It's it says it's forty three hundred something words. Yeah, and um, I do tend to go to sh- shorter tra- chapters of around twenty five hundred words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but honestly, I didn't see. Uh, 
Let me see where that where that puts us. I'm just going to do a quick okay rundown here because I've kind of gone back and forth. There's this is my theory on this. This is kind of like people are like, oh, I don't have time to watch a movie on Netflix, but then you end up watching like a show like over and over again because you like can consume little bits. And I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes people will like they may not read the whole chapter, but if a chapter's shorter, they'll continue to read and they'll like get what I want is like people to get hooked and keep on reading it's right 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 no that was my logic on that i i agree with you um uh, uh, maybe a good place to stop if you wanted to cut the scene or chop it in two 2631 about 2600 words in you are right there with Gomez and he gets a face full of cake and then Gomez's eyes glow white and his body hangs like a puppet at rest. His mm-hmm. head flops up and he grabs me by the, by the shoulders. Beware. He says, in a raspy voice, uh, you know, like I've never heard they're coming, they're coming for you. He squeezes and gets an inch away from my face. Your knife will save your life. You could, Cut it right there. Okay. It, I mean, that's a good cliffhanger because what on earth? And then yeah. come right into the next chapter. Make sure that he looks at Gomez, uh, that he stares at Gomez, and then Gomez, mm-hmm. um, you know, what did he say? You know, and mm-hmm. and you'll have to again set the scene. Yeah. I mean, just because people do put down books. I don't yeah. think they're gonna. That's a great cliffhanger, yeah. but you need to do it anyway because somebody might have promised to put it down. You need to remind them where they are, but um, have him maybe refresh. My knife will save my life, you know. And he's looking at Gomez. We're still in the kitchen, and then uh, and then Gomez like, "Hey, you want that last piece of frosting?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it cracked me up, and and then he says, "You sound like Lou," and he says, "I'm out of here," you know. Um, and you go on from there um, through to the end of where you ended. That would okay. work, too. It's really going to be kind of up to you. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very strong first chapter as it is. Okay. But if you wanted to end it sooner, then that would be where I would say maybe okay. you could end it because that's a great cliffhanger. Nobody's going to put it down. Not willingly. Yeah. <laughs> Not willingly. So. Um, yeah, like I said, I think you it's definitely in need of an edit. I could tell you right in the middle of, you know, getting it get, getting it done. And mm-hmm. so that's fine. Um I I'm going to send you my notes. I'm going to send you the rubric. I'm going to send you one with the track changes on. Mm-hmm. And it's not an edit, it's just some side notes here and there. The thoughts I had as I was running through it, you know, okay. in preparation for our talk. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Um is there some place people can find you on social media or do you have a website they can look at or anything like that yet? Not yet. I, Not I need yet. to get, that's one of the things I like, it's on my to-do list is I was going to start a Twitter <laughs> account and um, I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not very active. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's, that's like my next, one of my next steps is like, yeah, I, yeah. Start I, to get a little it's bit kind of one of those things you kind of can really like. And- Go on and get started. Um, I was going to say that you, if you decide to go the indie route, and I know Mm -hmm. you're planning on doing the whole query thing, but if you decide to go the indie route, you have a great, you have a great way to have a reader magnet, which would be how, what happens at home, show them at home, the lousy conditions, mom's gone. Mm-hmm. All she left me with was this crummy knife and, and Nan, who's a crusty old lady. Yeah. And then somehow or another, they know this whole thing is going on with the celebration. People are leaving earth on Elon Musk's uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> starships. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a joke, Elon. Anyway. Um, uh, He's watching. <laughs> so uh, they're already planning ahead they're already gonna leave so um 
And then they wake up on the ship, cut. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, how did you get here? And they have no idea, you know. Um, and that would be your your reader magnet. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it's almost already written for you because you know what needs to happen in that prequel kind of. And it can be like, it could be almost this long it, or maybe 7,000 words or something, but it wouldn't have to be much longer than this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just setting up the the normal world. You're showing them before before they became ship dwellers. Yeah. So, yeah, great. Cool. Um, any other questions? <laughs> you know, I think I'll think about it. Like, well, I'll get off with you, and then like five minutes. Oh, shoot! <laughs> just send me a note. That's okay. fine. That's okay. fine. And I will send you this stuff. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being my guest. And uh, I look forward to reading this book when it comes out, however long it takes, because it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, I will talk to you later then. Thanks, Alden. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and follow the podcast. If you're new around here, I hope you will sign up for the weekly newsletter, Writing Pursuits Tips for Authors. That link and all the links mentioned in today's episode are in the show notes at writingpursuits.com. Please join us on Wednesdays for new episodes and keep writing, my friends. Keep writing. Keep writing.